I want to do something different today. I want you to remain standing, and we're going to read the Bible first. As we stand in honor of the Word of God, and I'm going to tell you why later, <laughs> but let's do it differently this time. And as we've been doing, I read the first verse, and I'm going to let you read the rest of it. Jesus told His disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. Now go. Father, truly, without the Holy Spirit in all of the Scripture, but especially today, without the Holy Spirit opening our spiritual eyes to be able to see the depth, the incredible treasures in Your Word, we will just go out and ho-hum and another sermon and another service and another Sunday. I pray, Lord God, forbid it that be that case. We ask for a transformation in our lives, in our hearts, in our church, in our homes, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. I wanted to have the reading of the Scripture first for several reasons, but really one main reason. Some of you might not be familiar with this parable. And those of you who might not be familiar with this parable or didn't really 
focus on it before, you probably gulped as we're reading it. Uh, or perhaps you were puzzled or maybe felt uneasy or, or perhaps some of you um, thought, you know, what in the world is this doing in the Bible? Uh, or what is Jesus doing? Is he appraising a crook here? Is he praising a crook? Well, if you felt that way, please don't feel too bad. Please don't feel too bad. Do not feel too bad. I will, when I explain to you the cultural context of this parable, it will bless, bless your socks. My first exposure to this parable was when I was a student pastor. Um, when I was a seminary student, the students worked on weekends in parishes and called catechist, and most people were told in seminary not to preach more than once a month. You got enough study to do. But you can imagine me being me, even at the age of 24, I looked for a difficult assignment. I looked for an assignment where I can preach every Sunday. I think some of my professors thought I was stupid. I was foolish, but that's okay. They got to repent afterward. I found a, a parish, my, my wife would tell you, it, it had a, it's a big church, but it has a branch church, and the branch church was very small, and they couldn't afford a full-time pastor, so they were, took advantage of a, a guy who was interested in preaching every Sunday from seminary, and they said, hey, you take it. So I was preaching every Sunday to that small congregation. Um, and right next door to that little church, there was a cottage that owned by the church where a lady, an English lady, who lived in it uh, and subsidized the, the rent by taking care of the, of the church. I'm telling you a long story, but it, it won't be very long. Just be patient with me. I'm gonna, I'm, I've got a point. I always land. <laughs> but this dear lady, this English lady who was a caretaker of the church, God used her to be a thorn in my side. <laughs> I don't think she was a believer. We're not sure, but I, I don't think she was a believer. But really God used her. <laughs> and always remember, thorns are good for our sanctification. And God wanted me to start early. And um, she always had something critical to say after every service. I mean, she didn't give me a break. After every service, she comes in and says something critical. She hated it when I departed from the liturgical service. Remember, that's the Church of England. So it was a, it was, she hated it when I departed from the 1662 old prayer book, liturgical service, and prayed extemporaneously. And she would come to me afterwards. She said, do you know how many grammatical mistakes you made in your prayer? <laughs> and I kind of, look, I was 24. So I would politely say, yes, thank you, yes. Yes, thank you. Finally, I picked up some courage, and I said to her, lady, I wasn't talking to you. <laughs> All of this to tell you that one of her critical moments, which they were weekly, she had the Bible open to Luke 16. She shoved it under my face, and she said, what is this doing in the Bible? 
Well, I must admit, I was taken back. Again, remember, I was 24, freshman in seminary. And I said, I'll get back to you. (laughs) But what I did when I went back and studied this parable, it turned out for me to be one of the greatest blessings in my ministry to this day, 100 years later. (laughs) First of all, of all the parables that our Lord Jesus Christ tells us, of all the parables, this is the most straightforward one. No allegory, no illustration, no explanation. It was just a straightforward. It's straightforward. And yet, it's very culturally first century Judaism. It is truly a human parable. Look at verse 9 with me. I'm going to come back to verse 9 at the end, but I want you to look at it now, underline it, mark it, put, put note next to it. I tell you, said Jesus, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. And so when it's gone, that is when you get to heaven, because you won't be able to spend your money in heaven, when it's gone you will be welcomed into their eternal homes. That's a key verse, and I'm going to come back to it again. But what I want to do with, uh, with, with this, uh, first of all, I've got to admit to you that this parable can come across, listen to me, I know, you know I'm realistic, it can come across as crass. You know what I mean? But crass. It, it comes across as a crooked dealings. And it is. <laughs> it is. The Bible does not deny reality. It doesn't gloss over things. No. Let me retell it to you in the, in the vernacular. A company owner, CEO, decided to hire a manager or chief operating officer to run the day-to-day operation of the company. And so the CEO noticed that the COO basically was um, goofing off as we would say. He was goofing off. Uh, he, he, he was not turning up on time, he, late from meetings. He, he didn't keep uh, the books in good order. He was playing golf all the time, if they played golf back then. He was padding the expense account, and he was kind of falsifying his monthly reports. And finally, the CEO's patience ran out with this guy. He ran out with this shenanigan. <laughs> And so he decides to confront this guy, the manager, and uh, the confrontation did not go very well. And so the owner said to the manager, buddy, I'm going to have to terminate your employment. Uh, You have two weeks to turn over the books and turn over the accounts, turn over everything. And so the manager thinks for a minute and he says, well, being a shrewd guy, quick on his feet. And he says, well, if I look at my 401k, as for those of you watching around the world, it's retirement account. <laughs> uh, and, and it's not going to last me for even a year, let alone the rest of my life. There is no way it's going to be enough. I mean, he was living in luxury, going to get manicures and hairstylists and leased Mercedes and 
health club dues, you know, he's just kind of living it up. He's not ready for manual labor. In fact, I think some of the younger generation think the word manual labor is the name of the Mexican prime minister. (laughs) So what does he do? He basically visualizes himself as going through life of homelessness. He was going through life of poverty, and he didn't like it at all. Neither would I. (laughs) So he devised an ingenious, if not a crooked, plan. He still has the accounts, he still has the books and his possessions, and uh, he got all all the company uh, ins and outs of the finances. He knew uh, who owes what and how much, and and so he calls each one of the uh, debtors together, he brings them in one by one. He doesn't bring them together in a big meeting because uh, that would be a problem. But he brings them on one by one, and he gives each of them a substantial discount courtesy of his boss's bank account. Now, you have to understand, back then, back then, usury, you, you know what I'm talking about, usury? Do you know what I'm talking about? Usury is not like interest. interest Um, uh, that we get interest uh, money in the bank and stuff like that. Usury. That is why it's really outlawed in the Bible. And God said, don't do it. Don't do it. But sometimes these usuries and the people with money give to the poor who needed it, they can charge upward of 100%. So imagine a guy hurting and needing $100, borrow $100, this... Sharks <laughs> basically will lend it to him, but as long as he paid it back as 200. That's just a good, put that in the back of your head as a, a little bit of a freebie on the house. It's a cultural thing. That's why the Bible outlawed it in the, in the Old Testament very clearly. And so, what this man literally was doing, he was taking off the usury and charging only the principal. That's what he was doing. Now do you understand it in context? And so he said to the first one, well, how much do you owe? A hundred thousand. Well, sit down, make it fifty. How much do you owe? Well, two hundred thousand. Well, sit down, make it a hundred. The third and the fourth. And went on and on and on. Everyone, as I said, was given a wonderful, generous discount courtesy of his boss. All along he was thinking, man, this Generous gestures is going to endear me to them. This uh, makes these people owe me big time when I'm out of here. I mean, these people are indebted to me for life. Um, Man, when I get out of work, (laughs) I'm going to sit back and collect IOUs. (laughs) I'm going to sit on the beach and clip coupons. Meanwhile, the company owner, the CEO, gets wind of this new shenanigan that was going on and, 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 and on the part of this outgoing manager, and he becomes furious. I mean, you can understand it, can't you? And now he's more determined than ever to get rid of the rascal right away. But at the same time, he kind of, this owner, becomes a little bit philosophical, <laughs> even though he was Furious, but he gets a little bit philosophical, and he begins to think of the ingenuity 
if not the crookedness, of this deal, of this manager's advice. And so, he actually, deep down, secretly, part of him admires the rascal <laughs> for being forward-looking, for having foresight, for having vision for his future. Now, some of you are saying, okay, Michael, 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 I understand that. I understand this is what happened first century uh, Palestine. I understand that. But why on God's earth is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, would tell this unlikely parable in the Scripture? Why? You know what? That is a great question. I am so glad you asked it because I want to answer it. It's a great, 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 great question. <laughs> and here's what Jesus is saying to every genuine disciple. Now, this is not to somebody who doesn't know Jesus. This is for disciples of Jesus. If you have never committed your life to Jesus Christ, He wants you first. He wants your soul. He wants your heart first before He wants what's yours. So He's speaking to every serious-minded Christian. Christian, every serious-minded disciple of Jesus, and he's saying, look at that crook. Look at the crooked means by which he planned his future. Look at how meticulously but crookedly he planned his earthly future. Look at his commitment to taking care of number one and his earthly well-being. Now, think about how much more thoughtful, caring, intentional should you be about your eternal future. That's what our Lord is saying. Think about how much more diligent and deliberately and highly organized your plans should be for where you're going to be spending eternity, not just few years, but forever and ever and ever. Please hear me right. This is important. I'm going to pour my heart out to you this morning. Now, I know there are some people who spend more time organizing their annual vacation than thinking about heaven. I know there are a lot of people who spend a lot of time organizing their retirement, and there's nothing wrong with that, nothing wrong with that. God bless. The, I, mean, I'm, I, I, I think, we, we, where's Richard? I think we have some retirement money, you know. <laughs> but God, God bless those who want to retire. It ain't going to be me. <laughs> but, but people spend time pouring into their retirement and, and hours and hours and hours, and nothing, and no time, no plans, no decisions about where they're going to be spending thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And Jesus is saying, if this crooked man who had enough sense to plan his earthly future, how much more should be the true children of the living God plan to where they're going to be spending their forever? Oh, except God's children will be making their plans by righteous means. They'll be making their plans not through crooked means, Here's what Jesus is saying. Learn even from this crook who had done crooked things for his own needs 
and for only a few years of life, learn from this crooked man who cannot see past his nose. Learn to be shrewd in the use of your time, in the use of your talent, and in the use of your treasure for your eternal future. Learn and be wise in investing all that God has placed in your hands for your eternal future. Learn to invest all the resources that He has placed in your hands where you'll be living forever and ever and ever and ever. Learn to invest in ministries that will bring people to Christ. Learn to, to, spend, to invest in things where it's going to be waiting for you on the other side of heaven when people are going to come to you and tell you how grateful they are for you and in your investment, and for that reason they are in heaven. Learn to invest in gospel ministries that will bring salvation to people whose gratitude to you for that investment will go on and on and on and on for all of eternity. I'm absolutely convinced. I'm absolutely convinced as I'm standing before you now. Some of partners are ministry partners in this church and in leading the way and other ministries who have gone to be with the Lord. And so many dear friends who started and without whom this church would not be possible. And I'm, I'm so grateful for their memory. I'm so grateful for what they have done. And I'm absolutely certain right now in heaven, they are meeting thousands upon thousands of people who are thanking them for their investment. I know and you know there's just too much, a lot of talk about the loss of value of the dollar, right? I mean, look, I, I, I catch headline news. I don't spend a lot of time, uh, but, but I have services by which I can catch up with what's going on very quickly, <laughs> so I don't want to waste my time. But I read so much about this stuff, the loss of value of the dollar. Some people are actually predicting that in the next few years, the dollar will be worth half of what it is now. Now, there are people who are investing in gold and silver and hedging so the, in a value of the dollar. I understand that's fine. That's wonderful. But I can tell you on the authority of Jesus the Christ that your dollar that you send unto heaven will never, 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 never lose its value. Think about this. Think about this. When you go to heaven, all of your money, all of your possessions, all of your stocks and bonds and your real estate or whatever it is you're invested in will lose its value 100%. <laughs> you can't use it up there. But what you invest now in the work of Jesus here on this earth will be multiplied exponentially in value in heaven. You're talking about the value of the dollar. I want to show you something. I'll take it out of this plastic thing because, and I hope the camera will be able to get hold of this because I don't know if folks are watching will be able to see this. Here. This is one million Turkish lira. One million. So it's true currency. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> I mean, you know, spend a couple of dollars on this. 
Got a picture of Kamala Tatak, the founder, when the Ottoman Empire collapsed, the founder of modern Turkey. One million lira. In one stage, they couldn't get a loaf of bread. Talk about loss of value. In fact, I have a friend some years ago when Cuba just opened up, a businessman from North Carolina told me the story. He said, when I went to Cuba, he, he went with some Canadians because, you know, Americans back then couldn't go. But when he was in Cuba, he changed uh, to local currency uh, hundreds and hundreds of dollars. I don't know how much exactly. He said, uh, and, you know, I came back home and opened up my briefcase, and there's all this money. Oh, Cuban money. <laughs> he said, I, in Cuba, I could have bought a lot of things with that. In America, it was worthless. Couldn't do anything with it. I couldn't do anything with it. Now, beloved, listen to me. In the same way, when we cross over to the other side, we will discover that our money that we left here on earth cannot be used there. It can be used there. That is money that we could have invested in the work of God while we're living. Money that could have been invested in ministries that met spiritual needs. Now it's worthless in heaven. Worthless. I've heard it. You've heard it too. You can't take it with you. Actually, that's wrong. Did you know that? It's wrong. According to Jesus, right here in Luke 16, that's wrong. He is saying you can send it on ahead. You can send it on ahead by investing in ministries and in the kingdom of God. Okay, after this brief introduction, <laughs> I'm going to come to the message. And uh, I know you're laughing and you're nervous because you, part, of, part of you thinks this, I'm serious, and I am. <laughs> I want to give you three things. I pray to God you never forget. I pray to God you never forget about this parable because it will bless you. If it, it did to me back in 1972 and literally transform my views of ministry, my views of life, my views of everything that I've ever been involved in, and I pray that God would use it to do the same with you, whatever you do. Three things. And the Lord Jesus Christ is saying to us, saying to every disciple of Jesus Christ, He is saying, be wise. Be wise. First of all, be wise in facing reality. Secondly, be wise in projecting the future, eternal future. And thirdly, be wise in acting upon your conviction. Okay, let's look at this very, very quickly, very quickly. Be wise in facing reality. I don't, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I don't think very few of you would disagree with me that we have a, a generation now that's totally unrealistic. I mean, they are at the la-la land. God bless them. I've, unrealism, unrealism, and it's, it's, it's permeating all of uh, our society. Society now is made of people totally unrealistic. We have politicians who are totally unrealistic. We have media that might as well be living in an alternate universe. They're unrealistic about their ability. They're unrealistic about their expectations. Too many people 
who are waiting for their ships to come to port when they've never sent any ships out. Just think about this. You think you're going to get everything free, free, free? Yeah, right. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, if this crook was realistic enough about the reality of his future, if this crook was realistic about his world, how much more, how much more should you who know and love the Lord Jesus, how much more should those who actually know that they are going to be spending eternity in heaven with Jesus. And if you know for certain that you are going to spend eternity in heaven with Jesus, then the question should be, what plans am I making for that, with that reality in mind? Uh, does, do your life plans reflect that reality? Are you writing your personal budget with that reality in mind? Are you managing your earthly resources with that reality in mind? I don't mind telling you, my family know this, I scrutinize every decision I make. Sometimes a bit overwhelming, and, but that's my problem, not yours. <laughs> but I'm always scrutinizing everything with eternity in mind. Does whatever I'm supporting bring glory to Jesus? Does whatever I give myself to save souls? Well, whatever I'm giving myself to brings people to heaven. Be wise in facing reality. Secondly, he said, be wise in projecting the future. That's the eternal future. Listen to me, please. Listen to me. As your flawed brother not as your pastor. There is everything right about projecting your eternal future. Everything right about it. Question, are you going to have friends in heaven? No, 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 I'm not talking about your church members, your friends in the church, your friends in the Bible study. I'm not talking about your loved ones. I am talking about people whom you have never seen this side of heaven. Will they be your friends in heaven? I'm talking about those names that you have never heard this side of heaven. Because that's what Jesus is saying, not me. But because of your investment, they'll be waiting for you in heaven. Say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Try this sometimes, okay? Try to do this. Close your eyes. Whether when you're having your devotion and prayer time or whatever, just, you know, just humor me and, and do it once or twice and just see what go, where it goes from there. Just close your eyes. And visualize yourself face to face with Jesus. I do that regularly. Then visualize yourself face to face with people from every corner of the globe. There are millions, I dare say, who are actually watching us live, both on Kingdom Set and all the platforms, right now. By then they will know your name. In heaven they will know your name, and you will know their names. 
who will come to you and say, because of your investment in the work of God, I am here in heaven today. Let me read to you a resignation announcement from the Kenyan Atheist Society. You will understand in a minute. Actually, my colleagues in Leading the Way UK are the ones who are familiar with this, and they posted it, and I asked their permission, can I use it? And they said, yes, I'll put you the official one so you can see it, and I'm going to read it to you. This is a, a letter from the president of the Atheist Society of Kenya. This evening, regretfully, the secretary of the Atheist in Kenya Society, Mr. Seth Mahiga, informed me that he has made a decision to resign from his position as secretary of the society. Seth's reason for resigning is that he has found Jesus Christ, and he's no longer… Amen. Give God glory. And he's no longer interested in promoting atheism in Kenya. We wish Seth all the best in his newly found relationship with Jesus Christ. We thank him for serving society with dedication over the last year and a half. And then they announced the vacancy of that job <laughs> and asking anyone who wants to be interested in joining the executive committee can send their resume. They call it CVs. <laughs> Beloved, listen to me. If I can get through this, you and I are going to meet hundreds of thousands of people like Seth in heaven. And so be wise in visualizing your eternal future. This crook visualized poverty, unemployment, and homelessness, and he did something about it, crooked as it was. We have the chance to do something that is righteous, holy, and glorious. I sure hope that those of you long-timers, the visitors might not, or the new people are coming don't know this, but I just hope that you do not get sick and tired of me saying what I've been saying because I'm going to be saying it more and more with intensity in the coming days as I get older. I do everything in life with the audience of one in mind. I get so excited about that, I can't stand it. <laughs> Beloved, that's not pride. Sin of pride it hits us all and hits me, but that's not pride. This is the truth. Zach reminded you last week of the 10-year vision that we have in the Church of the Apostles. Those of you involved will know about leading the way. We have the 2025 vision uh, globally, one million souls coming to Christ. But I have far bigger vision than both of these visions, and I thank God for them. 
I have an eternal vision. In fact, everything I do, every ministry I exercise, every service we render, every life we touch, and every family we impact is motivated, but how will that impact their eternity? I don't mind telling you I visualize millions of people who are now nameless, faceless, but in heaven they will not be. They will not be from every tribe, every nation, every tongue. They'll be my friends in heaven. They'll be my friends in heaven. And on that they'll be yours too. They'll welcome us in their dwelling places. You have Jesus' word on it. Don't shoot the messenger. I'm only telling you what Jesus says. Be wise in facing reality. Be wise in visualizing your eternal future. Thirdly, be wise in acting upon your conviction. You see, there are a lot of well-meaning people around. Oh, their intentions are so good. They do nothing about it. There's there's no secret if you heard me long enough to know that I get absolutely flabbergasted. I mean flabbergasted. I wrote books about it, but I get flabbergasted at the jihadis who are willing to blow themselves up for a diabolical cause. Osama bin Laden, who lived in the caves and wore rags, was worth a quarter of a billion with the B dollars. And he did it sacrificing for a misguided cause. I look around and I become equally flabbergasted in our, culture, in our country, in our culture in the West. Christians who know the truth, yet they squander their biblical convictions on life's trivia. But listen, I'm not asking you to use my, to, 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 to share my being flabbergasted. I'm asking you, I'm not putting you on a guilt trip or, I, I, this is very personal. It's my burden alone, and that's fine. I'm not putting you on the guilt trip. But when I look at the commitment of those who are spearheading some of the most godless causes, some of the most godless legislations. I look at those who are working day and night and lobbying for immorality and for the destruction of biblical morality and for the destruction of our families, those whose lives calling is the destruction of the Christian family. And I must confess to you, I hang my head in shame. When genuine believing Christians who have known and experienced salvation sleep in on Sunday morning or complain because they can't get this or they can't do this, and forever this evil force is working day and night, the redeemed of God are indifferent. And when I see this, I want to say with Jeremiah, all that my head is water and my eyes are fountain of tears so that I may weep day and night. And when I see 
the church more concerned about being woke, social justice, Marxist ideology, than they are concerned about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to say with Isaiah, woe is me. I often wondered, ever since that day in 1972, what would Jesus say if He's telling this parable in the 21st century? I wonder what He would say. Now, you understand, when I'm projecting something, it's not from His lips, it's not from the Word of God, and I'll make that very clear. I just wondered. And I wonder aloud what he would say to us. I believe with all my heart personally, again, if you, you don't have to agree with me, but I personally believe would have said, look at the jihadis, look at the atheists, look at the agnostics, look at those who worship the environment and secular humanists, look at their commitment to their causes, look at the forces of, of that are working day and night seeking to confuse and hurt our young children, look at their willingness to invest of themselves and learn from them. Look at them. And you can do no less for the kingdom of God than they are doing for their evil causes. Don't do less for my church. Don't do less for my saving of souls and saving of the lost. Don't do less for the Great Commission. Don't do less for your eternal home, for your eternal home. I told you I'm going to come back to verse 9, and I'm going to conclude with it. Jesus basically saying, now I tell you, make friends for yourselves in heaven. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about going out and buying people. That's what the celebrities do. They go out and buy people with their money. <laughs> That's not what he's talking about. He said, make friends in heaven. By means of unrighteous manners, money, basically whatever resources you have. So that when you don't have them anymore, and in heaven you won't, they'll welcome you and invite you in their dwelling places. Jesus is saying, beloved, listen to me, listen to me. The time to give is now. The time to give of yourself is now. The time to invest yourself is now. The time to serve is now. The time to put yourself out for Jesus is now. For in eternity, this is the only place where you will get compounded interest. I hope everyone at the sound of my voice will ask themselves the question, has nothing to do with me, has nothing to do with the church, has nothing to do with anybody, has nothing to do with anybody else. It's between you and God, really. What am I giving to? What am I giving to you that my non-Christian friends cannot give to? Am I giving to secular education? Well, they can do that even more. Am I giving to social causes? They will gladly do that and more. Am I giving to the environmental causes? My goodness, they will do that and more. Your non-Christian friends do not and cannot 
give to the kingdom of God. They cannot give to the kingdom of Jesus, but you can. Beloved, listen to me. Jesus did not praise a crook. Let me repeat this. Jesus did not praise a crook, but rather He is using earthly example to teach us an eternal principle. Because only you, 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 you can hear from the lips of Jesus those wonderful words that I can't wait to hear, whether it be in an hour or in ten years. Well done. Say it with me. Well done. Say it again. Well done. You notice he didn't say much done? Because I don't want a student sitting here saying, well, I don't have anything to give. I say, he didn't say much. He said, well. Wherever you are, whether you are 16 years old or 14 years old or 100 years old, it's not the much. It's the well. Well done. Say it again. Good and faithful servant. May the Lord imprint those words in the cortex of our brains and a fold of our hearts. Father, Your Word is so beautiful. Your Word is so powerful, especially coming in these dark days, in these difficult days. I believe with all my heart, Lord, You are preparing Your bride. You're calling the elect from every corner of the globe. And so I pray for all of us who are faithful, those who love You, that You may intensify our desire of serving You, even as we see the signs around the corner. Now, we be found faithful, Lord, because that is the longing of our hearts. You taught us faithfulness. You are the faithful one. And those of us who lived long and those who haven't lived long, in even short period of time, we can testify to the fact of your faithfulness. And so, Father, I pray, Holy Spirit of God, do your work in us, for we pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, praise the Lord.